and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Your inside look into combat sports. Ring Talk Live Worldwide, brought to you by the WBC, the World Boxing Council. There's something else to watch. Two men at the highest level battle, and one may be favored over the other, but you never know what's going to happen. And and that's, what, that's why boxing is the way it is. And now, the host of the longest-running fight show in radio and Internet history. He comes on, damn near parpedos, full steam ahead. Pedro Fernandez. Damas y caballeros, bienvenidos, ladies and gentlemen, emanating, coming at you from the multi-million dollar sports byline studios. Check it. This is Ring Talk Live Worldwide and WBC TV. Austin imitated but hardly duplicated. 37 make that 38 plus years now of knocking out all bums. Who am I? My name is Pedro Fernandez. I am ever so humble notes. When you when I say humble, think capital letters. Straight up, I'm a four-time Golden Glove champion. I've won some awards for my writing. So supposedly, allegedly, I know a little bit about boxing. But guess what? The average fan, you know a little bit more. You have a different insight. You buy the tickets. Guess what? You can text me here in the studio. The text number, 415-275-1613. The Ring Talk Studio text line right now, 415-275-1613. Well, it's here's appears certain now that Demetria Bivol will be the next opponent for the pound-for-pound king. Of course, I'm talking about Canelo Alvarez. Of course, the man that comes to us from Mexico, the 168-pound champion, will step up in class to 175 pounds and take on Bivol. That'll be the fight in May. And then come November, it'll be, uh, it looks like it'll be Triple G. That's right, Triple G is like 55 years old now, so he's okay for Canelo. Canelo should be fighting David Benavides. That's what Mike Tyson said. We'll talk about that and more with Socrates Palmer after the break. You are tuned to Ring Talk, brought to you by the World Boxing Council. Of course, their interactive website. Check it out, worldwbcboxing.com. That's wbcboxing.com. This is Ring Talk Live Worldwide on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Satellite Radio, and a thousand other Internet platforms. More of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Your inside look into the world of boxing and MMA, of course, brought to you by the mighty WBC. There is the Tower of Power, of course. What an institution they are in the world of R&B. Speaking of institution, let's bring in boxing's PAC, Socrates Palmer, coming to us from the Bronx. Mr. Palmer, how are you today, sir? Doing well, Pedro. I, I hope you don't mean institution that I'm, that I'm a little crazy. <laughs> wow. Well, come again? <laughs> no, you, you said the word institution. I hope you're not referring to that. I might be a little whacked out, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good one. I mean, institution can be taken a couple of ways. I'm glad you took it that way because I was dropping hints there. <laughs> Well, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. Okay. Bottom line is, Mike Tyson came out this week and sort of slammed uh, Canelo Alvarez, said he should be fighting the monster. And I was thinking, who's he talking about? That little Japanese guy in Oi? No, no, he was talking about David Benavides. Hmm. That's an interesting take. I missed that. Um, you know what? I I think eventually that fight does happen, um, but it's going to happen when Canelo's good and ready. 
You know, he knows that he is the pretty girl in the room, and and he gets to choose whatever he. You know, he's a cash cow. You know, he gets to pick and choose when and who he fights, and he's basically he's earning that. You know, so um, Benavides is a very good fighter, but there are other fights that that can be made for him. He should not be just sitting around waiting to punch in the lottery ticket. No, but but had Benavides taken care of business though and not blown the WBC title with the. Uh the the, uh, the bad weigh-in where he didn't make weight, and then he had some cocaine yes. problems. This, this. So he had some issues. So had he not had those issues, the Canelo fight would have been it would have been compelled. That's a good point, yes. Uh, now, Canelo has also gone on record saying that, that he wouldn't w- want to fight uh, another Mexican. Benavidez, I, I believe, uh, rebutted saying that he's only half. <laughs> he's half Ecuadorian. So, Ooh. you know... Uh, I think that fight does happen eventually, just because I think okay. realistically it's a good fight for Canelo. But I think Canelo has history on his mind. I think he's looking to unify the light heavyweight titles the same way he did the super middleweight titles. And I just don't think Benavides is a priority for him right now. Oh, okay, so, so that cruiserweight thing, that's dead, right? That's done. It seems that way. Um, it, it seems that way. Uh, and it's probably for the best. Um Regardless of the fact, you know, whether we think Canelo is superior to, to that cruiserweight champion, he's still the, the bigger, heavier man. And, you know, if he beats him, people shrug their shoulders. Like, okay, fine. He beat who? So, you know, I think it's, it's more compelling for him to, to go to light heavyweight again. Um, now he's fighting a very good fighter in, in Dimitri Bivol, which was announced this week. A fight that he has a potential to lose. You know, he's fighting an undefeated guy with a great amateur pedigree, and he's a solid boxer and a solid light heavyweight. So, in solid meaning, like he probably comes in the ring about 195 pounds. That guy looks like yikes. He's cut. Yeah, he's probably will be. He, he probably will come in even heavier. You know, he could, I can see him coming in at 200 pounds for that fight. No doubt about it. Do you think the current weigh-in system is is adequate, and, and could they do it any any other way? In other words, you know, I've been around a long time. I remember the same day weigh-ins. You know, I remember weighing in as an amateur, weighing in an hour before a match and things like that. But those days have come and gone. I mean, now we're weighing in a day before. Of course, the day before weighing came to us in 1988 when Michael Nunn couldn't make weight against Frank Tate in defense of the IBF middleweight title, and his manager went to the Nevada State Athletic Commission at that point in time, Robert Spagnola and asked for permission to have the weigh-in the day before. And they had to weigh-in the day before Frank was shaking. His, he had, that's how bad he was making 160 pounds. Anyway, that was the beginning of the day before weigh-ins, which I think now are a great thing because they allow guys <clears throat> to re, rehydrate and things like that. But then again, you've got guys rehydrating 25 pounds. I don't know if you should be able to rehydrate that much. It's a good debate. Um, it's definitely in favor for the health of the fighter. Yeah, because I mean to basically be starving up until fight time, it's that's pretty barbaric and brutal. Um, but I do believe there should be some type of clause as far as the rehydration period. Uh, when I think of that, I think of the famous uh, incident that happened, or infamous incident that happened with the late Arturo Gatti and Joey Gamash. Yeah, you know, he was a, he was you know he. Basically, it was almost manslaughter that night. You know, it's the good thing Joey Kamash recovered and won a nice lawsuit against New York. Uh, but stuff like that 
shouldn't happen. So there yeah, definitely should be some sort of 10 to 15 pound clause that a fighter should not be able to go past after the weight. Or, or, a, or, or percent, I don't know if you should put it out to an actual weight, maybe a percentage point. I think the, the one of the sanctioning bodies does have the thing where you can't gain X amount over X and things like that. And, and I'm down with that, but you know, some guys come in like 25, 30 pounds heavier than what they weighed in at. And if you're fighting a guy that's a middleweight and you weigh, weigh in at 160 and then you walk, step into the ring with him, he's like 188. Then yikes, man. Yeah. Well, Canelo was accused of that at junior middleweight, especially when he, uh, fought Amir Khan. I believe he was about 20 pounds heavier than Amir Khan that night. You know, so that's been going on for, like you said, for a couple of decades now. Okay. Speaking of Amir Khan, have, have we seen the last of Amir Khan as a professional boxer? No, huh? I hope. I, I hope so. I, I, no, 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 I, no. I, it's I, a yet. No, the timeout, timeout. That's sort of like I'm putting you on the spot. That's a yes or a no question. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I, I'm going to say yes. You I, think I, that's I think it, huh? It should be, man. I mean, what's the point at this? At this I mean, at this stage, I mean, what's the point? You know, we know that money. Money. That guy, yeah. listen, that guy sells his TV rights to Pakistan and people, places like that. He makes a lot of money. He could fight me and make money. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's at some point he's made a lot of money. He's been making money for a long time, you know, yeah. and he's got a, a lovely wife. I mean, he's, his father's always there with him. At some point, you mm-hmm. got to you got to say enough's enough, you know, and, and he just. He looks so fragile. Like, he has no punch resistance at all anymore. You know, when he fought Kell Brook last week, those shots weren't even solid. You know, he has no punch resistance at all at this point. And, you know, who, who would want to see him end up as a vegetable? Because that's, that's, a, that's the road he's going. If he's well, yeah, <clears throat> Speaking of vegetable, my um, a guy that I sparred with back in 1984, of course, he would win three divisions. As far as the world champions concerned, what one, two, three, four? Uh, Wilfred Benitez, he doesn't look good these days, and and I sort of brought this up. I, maybe I brought this up by repeating myself, but somebody I know has been bringing kids to go see him, and I just don't think that's the, what you want to do. As far as because you know they'll tell you he's the greatest defensive boxer of all time, and the guy's sitting there, he's like a like a piece of broccoli. Yeah, um, it's it's heartbreaking to see the state that Wilfred Benitez is in. Um, I know that uh, our mutual friend John Scully has done uh, fundraisers for him in, in other mm-hmm. places. I, I believe I his sister has. is his caretaker. His sister, I believe, is his caretaker in Puerto Rico. Um, but yeah. Is Gregorio still alive? The father The father should, be, should have been arrested for child abuse. You know what he was doing when the kid was 13 years old? He was sparring with Edwin Virouet. Okay, then he was sparring with Esteban de Jesus. I mean, these guys, the, these guys, that guy beat Duran. He beat Duran. So he's sparring with a guy that beat Roberto Duran at the age of 13 years old? Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it seems criminal. Absolutely. And, and I know that as a, as a proud parent, you know, especially when you have a kid that's uber level talent, you get carried away. You know, I, I think Gregorio obviously had the best intentions for his son when he first started doing that. But, you know, someone should have whispered in his ear like, hey, this is not a good thing. You know, this is, it's, there's only so many miles on the brain, right? Yeah, you know, but I'm going to get probably ripped up for saying this, but um, 
When I was with him in 1984, I said to myself, this is an incredible opportunity to spend time because he was, he was here in San Francisco where he was going to fight at the Open Coliseum. I was going to be the ring announcer. We have a great anyway, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, I was a ring announcer, but he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't end up fighting. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, Every time we had a conversation, it turned to sex. I know I'm maybe repeating myself, but it just says, in other words, you know, the Giants won today. Yeah, Willie Mays won. He hit, hit, he hit 14 home runs. Blah blah blah. Something like that. Yeah. Hey man, what about sex? It always boiled back down to sex, and it wasn't that he was a sex maniac. It was that he had nothing else. He had no intellectual space. There was nothing between the ears at all. Yeah, yeah. It sounds no about education. right, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. he. I, I mean, now nowadays, maybe Wilfred Benitez is considered a savant. You know, like an autistic person, kind of like on the spectrum. You know, wow. maybe if he was ever diagnosed back then, that's what he probably could have been. Wow, what a way to what a spin on that. That's a good way to put. That is an excellent spin on that one, a, a savant. Um, because you know, there's no other way I could put it. I mean, I was just like. He wouldn't talk boxing. He, 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 you know, boxing wasn't on his brain at all. It was like, whoa. I mean, you know, this guy's, he doesn't want to talk boxing. All he wants to talk about is girls. Anyway, bottom line is, I guess everybody has their own individual's hangups. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing and MMA. Of course, this is the Saturday edition with Boxing's PhD, Mr. Socrates Palmer. Of course, we come to you Saturday and Sunday. Live on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, the American Forces Network, Cable Radio Network. Am I done? No, no, I'm done. iTunes.com, Stitcher.com. I can keep going and going, but the bottom line is we're running up on a break. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide from the Sports Byline Studios. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Well, last week, last Sunday, of course, the, uh, I was expecting the appearance of the retired HBO godfather himself, Mr. Larry Merch, of course, Mr. Hall of Fame. So I call him, and he doesn't pick up the phone, and I leave a message. He doesn't get back to me right away, so I start to get a little worried, is not it, right? So... I guess Monday or Tuesday, he calls me and he says, I'm Pedro. He goes, I got into an accident. I said, what? Here's what happened. He was walking in Santa Monica and some guy on a bike didn't see him and ran into him from behind, buckled his knee, messed up his shoulder. The bottom line is, I think he needs a, Socrates, I think he needs a lawyer, don't you? He needs a lawyer? (laughs) Yeah, Larry Merchant needs a lawyer. I'm recommending the law offices of Hagen Dosh. (laughs) <laughs> so just hogging that. So just uh, some rest and relaxation. I guess. So. Anyway, no, the guy should listen. This is why I tell people, and they laugh at me when I say this. I never run with the traffic. I never. I run every day. I run six days a week. I never run with the traffic. Either I'm on the sidewalk, and if I'm running, with, uh, I run. If I run against the traffic, in other words, you just have to. I mean, it's not fun looking at cars coming at you, this and that. But guess what? If you can't see it from behind, um, the, uh, the 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 WWE announcer, I can't think of his name right now. The the long time his his wife was killed. She was on a moped, and some kid Jim was Ross. on the phone, and yes. we rendered didn't see it. Yes, Jim Ross's wife was. Yes, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I remember that. 
So, so I mean, if you if you can't see what's going on behind you, that's what I think that's really where where a lot of bicyclists and motorcyclists lose it is that people people are coming up behind they don't see it anyway. Bottom line is Larry Merchant on the mend. I hope to see him later today. I'll be down in L.A. and um, we'll see what happens. Anyway, switching subjects now. Dimitri uh, Bivol and uh, Canelo Alvarez are going to be on the zone. But it's going to be the zone pay per view. I thought the zone was eliminating. I thought the whole concept of buying the zone was we didn't have to get pay per view. That's what they sold us on. <laughs> but I guess they got to, you know, they got to pay Canelo the big bucks. Um, it stinks, you know. I mean, that's why a lot of people subscribe to the zone. They thought that they were kind of like the game changers on the platform. And now they want you to pay 70 bucks. I think if you're already an existing member and if not, I think it's a, a $90 80. fee. Yeah. 80. Okay. So you get a little well, here's what's break. up though. All this, all this does is, is, is make the average guy want to steal it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, and that's all. I mean, even even the non-average guy. I mean, I I don't know anybody who wants to throw like they've got a subscription. In other words, I understand HBO was different, but when HBO was doing that, when HGH was a championship fight, boxing after dark, this and that, and then the pay-per-view cards. The pay-per-view cards are usually something a little special, a little something out of the ordinary per se. And I'm not trying to say that Dimitri Bivol. And Canelo Alvarez, the car is not going to be outstanding. I mean, you know, the, the pound for pound king of boxing, without a doubt, is Canelo Alvarez. But tacking seventy or eighty bucks on your DAZN bill already, and as well as good as I've been talking about DAZN for the past couple of years, I feel sort of dicked. Yeah, hoodwinked. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, they. I mean, we've seen lesser fights in recent years. You know, uh, wind up on pay per view. So you figure if there is anyone that that we should be paying to see is Canelo Alvarez, um, but it's just it just feels like false advertising by the zone, um, and especially the the steep price that they're asking for. It's not like it's an extra oh kick up another twenty bucks, seventy bucks in today's world of inflation, even for the hardest boxing fan. That's that's steep, man. It really is, and like you said, all it does is make you want to watch it. Well, all, of this, all it makes you want to do is look out your window and through the window, the guy that's paying for it across the way with a pair of binoculars and watching it that way. Absolutely. Not that we're condoning it, but it's something that they can do. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not a big guy on stealing anything because, you know, we everybody knows what, uh, what, what your rights are for your property and things like that. So I, I get that. I get that. But I just think this is an abuse of box, abuse of the system. I mean, if you're coming out with a with a deal, well, guess what? You sign up with us, and you don't have to pay. And then guess what? You sign up with them, and all of a sudden you gotta pay. Uh, I think that's, that's that stinks just a little bit. And it looks like Dillian White is signed for his fight with um, Tyson Fury. It's going to take place in in April. Um, and outside of that, you know, boxing is sort of slow this week. The the Kamita family. They want a case of the Japan Boxing Commission. I think they're going to get like a couple million bucks. So evidently the Japanese Boxing Commission spit on them a couple, a couple of years ago regarding a promotion. And the Kamita family stood up. I mean, the Kamita is like, isn't there three of those fighters? Is there three or two of them? Two or three? Truthfully, Pedro, I'm, I'm not going to BS the public. I'm not sure. 
I'm, I'm, yeah, I think there's, I think there's, I think there's three, but they, they made some money. And now I was reading today the fights are coming in from Dubai, and Harold Smith is dead, or is he? You know, you never know with Harold Smith. Did I ever tell you about Harold Smith? No, school me. Ross, born Ross Fields, he embezzled over twenty million dollars from Wells Fargo Bank to promote boxing in the early nineteen eighties. Okay, and he had signed stars like uh, Larry Holmes, Muhammad. I mean, no, not Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali. He brought Larry Holmes a half a million dollars in cash in a uh, briefcase, and he threw it on his on his desk in Eastern Pennsylvania. So Larry called Don King on the phone, and I wish I could repeat on the radio what Don King exactly said to him. But don't you sign with that MF, blah blah. I mean, it was just like you know. So anyway, it was hysterical. But yeah. Harold Smith was making a run on the boxing game at one point in time before your time, but he was making it with somebody else's money, Wells Fargo's. But, I mean, isn't how most people do it? I mean, no, no, no. He was embezzling. He was embezzling. He had a guy walking into a bank in Southern California, into Ernie Sanchez, I think was his name, or Ernie Fuentes, something like one of the, one of the two. That guy was walking into the bank, and he walked out with a satchel like a couple million bucks. They had a loan officer under um, uh, under in, under their thumb. They were working with a loan officer, but yeah, twenty. They said it was only twenty one million dollars, but I think it was a lot more. I think it was a lot. I, I just think it was a lot more. I just think they didn't want to get embarrassed by it. They said they retrieved every cent and that kind of stuff. I don't think so, man, because a lot of people got Harold's money. But um, Harold Smith allegedly died a year and a half ago or two years ago in Dubai. Of course, he was promoting over in Dubai or trying to put something together over in Dubai. But, yeah, he was he took me all over the world, treated me like a son, made Muhammad Ali treat me like a son. Um, that was really the reason why Ali and I had any any relationship at all both professional and personal, it was because of Harold. So I've got my pros, my, my pluses with Harold, and my negatives with Harold. But Harold was the guy that wanted to start boxing over in Dubai. And when I went over there in 2012, I was sick for 10 days. I did one video. They, they needed me to do two video shoots. And I did them. And it was like I was sick as a dog and went back to bed. And Harold says, I need you to do more. I said, man, I'm getting out of here. So I went to the, air, went to the airport. Harold says, you're not leaving until you do the video spot. I said, I'm too sick. So anyway, I went to the airport and he cashed in my ticket. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm stuck in Dubai. I'm stuck in Dubai. And I'm stuck in Dubai and I've got no. I didn't get paid. I was supposed to get paid eight grand. I didn't get paid. So anyway, I uh, I'm at the Dubai airport and uh, I look at my. I, I, the lady says to me, she goes, "Your ticket's been you know cashed in." I said, what? She goes, "Yeah, it's been cashed in." See, so they expected me to go back to the hotel and do the do whatever they wanted because they cashed in my ticket, right? No, no, I just bought another ticket. <laughs> I, I just bought it. It took cost me seventeen hundred bucks, but I got I bought another ticket. And I went home. Wow. You know? um, that was that was our last. That was my my last. Harold and I had been around the world, all over the place. But um, when he screwed me that last time, that was it. So may he rest in peace. But yeah, he he put together. He had Alexis Arguello signed at one point in time. He was putting together the Arguello, um, trying to put together Arguello and Salvador Sanchez. He was going to try to steal Sanchez away from Don King. He, he had Aaron Pryor. He had all those guys in the contract, man. He had Aaron Pryor fight one day. In Youngstown, Ohio, win the World Junior Welterweight Championship against Antonio Cervantes. Got on a plane with Jimmy Lennon Sr. and about three or four hot chicks, and they flew to Detroit, and they did they did the Tommy Hearns versus Pepino Cuevas fight on pay per view. Wow. Do you realize the, Do you realize the genius in that? What was the genius? 
he did the afternoon show on ABC and he pumped up his, he pumped up his pay-per-view show. This is a world championship fight, but let, coming up later tonight, let's go to Tommy Harris in Detroit. Yeah, I'm ready for Pino Cuevas, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? So it was a natural. That was the first time that it had ever been done. Wow. He was, he was oh, just a genius. Real uh, quick, what do you got? Uh, we got Josh Taylor fighting today. Uh, defending uh, the, uh, the undisputed 140 title against the undisputed, uh, Brit. Uh, stick, stick, around, stick, around, stick, stick around for two minutes after the break. You are tuning to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking at the world of boxing and MMA. More tower to the break. You are tuned to the longest running fight show in history, Ring Talk Live Worldwide. But hey, you knew that. But he has a shock in store for him. He has two great chances, Slim and none, and Slim's out of town. Don King, of course, the world's greatest promoter at one point in time after that show a couple of weeks ago. Well, I'll just put it to you this way. I wasn't too uh, complimentary when I sent Debbie King, his vice president daughter, a text after the show. I was a little embarrassed. Bottom line is that's the world's greatest promoter. And to go out like that, I mean, the guy that promoted Mike Tyson and, and all the big fights, man, I can go on and on and on. But but to come out with that, that was just sad. Daniel Bryan should be arrested for impersonating a heavyweight contender. Now, tonight on ESPN Plus, of course, we have the British champion, although he turned pro here in the United States back in, uh, I think it was uh, five, six years ago, of course, in El Paso, Texas, talking about Josh Taylor, 18-0, and 0, now 13 wax. He beat some good guys over the world over the time, Miguel Vasquez, um, Jose Ramirez, I mean, Ryan Martin, Ivan Baranchek, Rage's Progress. This guy's beat. He wasn't supposed to beat any of those guys. No, man. He really, he was kind of like the underdog in that in that, um, that World Series of Boxing tournament, which was where he kind of made his name. And then he, I guess, it was a mild upset when he really handled Ramirez on ESPN uh, last year. He's the real deal. And he's got a mean streak about him. You know, he's a fun fun fighter, throws a lot of punches, and uh, they had a very heated uh, weigh-in and press conference. Uh, so it should be a, a decent scrap today. Victor Postal, I mean, he's got he's got a pretty good resume. What does Jack Catterall bring to the dance besides an unbeaten mark at 25 and zip? Uh, he's got that. He does not lose. And I think that's that's sometimes that's that's a nice intangible. Uh, he's also ranked uh, in all three of the sanctioning bodies, uh, in three out of the four, rather, sanctioning bodies. So he seems like a legit contender. And there's some bad blood. You know, there was some pushing and shoving at the weigh-in, and uh, it's good. It's good promotion. And uh, But Josh Taylor seems like another level, man. He's a legit top five fighter, and he's kind of just biding his time before he goes up to welterweight to take some big money. Don't, wouldn't the big money be with, like, a Tiafimo Lopez fighting maybe over in uh, Scotland or Wembley Stadium, something like that, maybe, you know, maybe – enticing Tiafimo to come across the pond because it appears Tiafimo Lopez now is uh, going to be uh, part of the Eddie Reynoso team, although the first word out of the father, uh, Tiafimo Sr., was, I'm still the head trainer, which just made me shake my head. That would take some big stones from Tiafimo, and I don't you know, want to make the pun off of the weight, off of the weight measurements, but he, for him to go into enemy territory, to go up in weight against a legit Badass like Taylor, that would 
really be something. Um, I don't know if, if that necessarily happens. Also, the fact that Taylor seems that he's not having a fun time making 140. So uh, who knows if that fight happens. Money. But you're right. It is a big money, money fight. Money. It is. Money. If there was enough money for him to make 140 or make 140 be happy, he'd, he'd make, listen, you'll make it for the money at least once or twice for the super, super big money. You just do. You'll make the sacrifice, okay? And as far as Taylor's concerned, moving up to 147, he doesn't look like the biggest junior welterweight in the world to begin with. No, he, he doesn't. You know, he's lanky built. I believe he's about 5'9", maybe, if, mm-hmm. if that. Um, and those guys at welterweight seem kind of preoccupied with each other. I mean, who, who would he who would he be matched up against? Uh, at one point when Crawford was under the top-ranked banner, there was talks of him and, and, and Terrence Crawford, but that flew out the window. So it's interesting. He's a, he's a really good fighter, but his options are limited. Um I hope he maybe he becomes this generation's Joe Calzaghe. The guy that's just you know remains a undefeated but regional uh, fighter. Okay, the guy that I'm hot on at 147 beyond Crawford and Spence and people like that. I think Virgil Ortiz. I just think he's a volume puncher, but he's not only a volume puncher; he's selective in the way he throws them. In other words, he just doesn't throw to throw. He throws with um, purpose. And he's 18 in zip now. I think he's got 18 knockouts. And he's taking on some guy by the name of, uh, El, here we go with the name, Edgic. No, no, no. Anyway, I can't remember that guy's name. I can't remember right now. But he's got a fight set looks like, uh, with a guy with two names, KK. It's killing me right now. But I can't think of it. Anyway, bottom line is, Ortiz, I think, is a dark horse at 147. But he may be the guy. He's young. He's hungry. And, you know, you can you can sort of take the will out of guys like Earl Spence, who was like 31 years old now, and I think was Crawford 34. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that, Pete. I, said, I, think, Ter- I think Terrence Crawford is getting up there as far as his age is concerned. But Virgil Ortiz is the guy, I think, the dark horse at 147. I just think he's the darkest 147. Socrates, have a great Saturday with the family. All the best, man. We'll talk real soon. Thank you for having me, brother. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Boxing's PhD, Socrates Palmer. They said there are fights taking place tonight in Philadelphia. Of course, got the fights on ESPN. That's going to rock, no doubt about it. I mean, the junior welterweight champion is going to do his thing. Jack Adderall, undefeated, unbeaten, 26-0, coming to us from the U.K. as well. But I don't think Josh Taylor would be fighting him if he didn't think he could win. Um, speaking of winning, hmm, the WBC, the WBA, and the WBL have all said they're not going to sanction Russian fighters. And they're not going to sanction any fighters from uh, that 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 are, that are Russian. And they're not going to put on any fights in the Russia because of the fact that Russia's invaded Ukraine this week and things like that. You know, here we go, boxing and politics. I just don't know. But I mean, think about that. If you're Russian and now you, yeah, I don't know. If, what happens if you're Russian? You're not living in in Russia. Like you're a Russian living in the United States or something like that. Anyway, I guess they've got different categories. But the bottom line is. Here we go with politics and boxing. You know, we didn't need this before. But I remember when the, the WBC made their stand against apartheid, and they said until South Africa cleaned up its act, they weren't going to sanction South African fighters, and they didn't. And I thought that was sort of cool. So I've seen stuff like this before, and um, we'll see what happens with this. Anyway, tonight, a kid from uh, – well, a kid's got a good name, junior middleweight, Ray Robinson. Nothing fight, nothing like the guy born, Walker Smith Jr. I'm talking about Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Robinson, of course, the former welterweight and middleweight champion. But this Ray Robinson is going to be fighting in Philly tonight, taking on Silvero Ortiz. They're going to fight a junior middleweight. 
take that back about a pound or so above junior middleweight. Four or five, make that seven fights on the card. It'll be the 2300 Arena, RDR Promotions. Of course, I think this show starts at 7 p.m. local time. So check it out. You know, I think the local cards, and I'll say this before, boxing is built on club shows. I mean, you know, on a rare occasion, you get a guy coming out of the amateurs like Oscar De La Hoya or, or Sugar Ray Leonard, which, you know, he's got a, he's got a rocket ship, you know, attached to his back and he's going to go to the top, probably without a whole lot of, uh, uh, issues. But, you know, other fighters have to build themselves up. And this is the way you do it. You fight in the clubs. You get yourself eight, 10, 12 wins, you know, maybe eight, six, seven, eight rounds, out round, eight round fights, six and eight round fights. Then you step up. Maybe step up to a 10-round fight, okay? And then, oh, I can go 10 rounds. Now, can I beat guys worthy at 10 rounds? You start assessing your abilities as that. But moving up in the world of boxing, it's not an easy thing to do. Believe me, it's just not an easy thing. Somebody said to me the other day, would you, um, would you, feel, would you feel comfortable boxing today? Well, not at my age, I wouldn't. I don't know how they meant that. But, no, would I feel comfortable boxing? Mm, you know, Somebody said the boxing is watered down today. I heard Hector say that the boxing sort of, you know, ain't what it was. Well, you know, boxing is probably not going to be the glory days that it was in the 1980s with, you know, Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali retiring in the late 1970s, Roberto Duran and uh, Wilfred Benitez and Tommy Hearns and Marvin Hagler. I can go on and on. I mean, there was just a great run of fighters in the 80s, without a doubt. It probably was the... The 70s and 80s were the golden era of boxing thus far as far as boxing history is concerned. But, you know, today we've got some good fighters like Taylor. He's unbeaten. Take nine Catterall. That's unbeat as ESPN+. Plus. On the zone tomorrow, Lawrence Acoli is going to uh, take on Michael Ciasek, Cialak. That's going to be in a 200-pound bout for the WBO title. That's going to go down February 27th on the zone. March the 4th is the aforementioned Jose Ramirez. Remember him? He was a guy that lost to Josh Taylor pretty decisively and sort of that, whoa, whoa, what happened? I think he was just, he, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. I mean, Ramirez was sort of in disbelief there because he was undefeated. He had a you know long resume. I mean, big amateur record in the whole nine yards. So when he comes in this fight, he sees himself losing round after round. I think he was in disbelief on that one. Jose Ramirez wasn't just stone disbelief. Of course, he's taking on hope as Jose Pedraza, March the 4th on ESPN+. And March the 5th. The most overrated fighter in the history of boxing. Oh, God, I can't believe it. Chocolito Gonzalez. I'm so tired of this guy, man. I wish you'd be, you know, melting your mouth, not in your hands. What was that? That chocolate, the M&Ms, this and that. He just sort of melts. And I think he melted a couple years ago against a Thailand fighter, Wingasel Wegasek. Of course, he's got all kinds of uh, different names. But the bottom line is we call him WW. But he's going to take on, you know, J.C. Martinez for the WBA Super Flyweight title. It's going on March the 5th. That'll be on the zone. And the zone, of course, is now the same entity that promised us. And we, I'm going to harp on this a little bit, but they promised us, you know, if you join us, guess what, man? You don't have to pay for pay-per-view. That's what they said. That's what they told us. That was a scam. That was the pitch. If you come with us, you don't have to pay pay-per-view prices. Well, guess what? Now we're with them, and we're paying pay-per-view prices. So what's the story on that? Or they want us to. I mean, I think they're going to – I think they'll make some money without a doubt because the squares, you know, squares, so squares don't know how to steal. And uh, did I really say that? I just did. Anyway, squares don't know how to steal, and I said it again. And um, they'll buy the fight, okay? But hip people 
We'll end up buying some of those streaming boxes and looking, you know, with a pair of binoculars from the guy across the way, you know, when he pulls up his shades so you can watch it through the window and this kind of stuff. I mean, people will be going to extreme measures again to watch boxing. They did it in the past. I watched them. They came up with the black box, the blue, uh, uh, you know, the little cable box. I remember one time I was interviewing Steve Albert and when he was with Showtime Championship Boxing and he had a hot box in his house. And I sort of like exposed him on, on the radio for having it because he was watching two pay-per-views at the same time. And I said to him, how much is that costing you? And then he slipped. He said, oh, nothing. I said, oh, you got a hot box. Huh? Oh, yeah, Steve Albert. That was, Steve Albert, of course, one of the Albert brothers. But that was pretty funny. He was flicking back and forth doing pay-per-views while we were doing on the radio. But Steve was a pretty good guy to be around. Of course, he was the voice of Showtime Championship Boxing. But back to Canelo Alvarez. I understand he's got to make his money. I understand he turned down $100 million from uh, Al Heyman and PBC Boxing. Of course, they wanted him to fight. Uh, what did they want him? They wanted him to fight. Eventually, they wanted him to fight Dave, David Benavides in in, uh, in November, but they wanted him to, or September, but they wanted him to fight Jamal Charlo, the 160-pound champion, the undefeated cat. It's like 32 years old and 32 fights, but 32 guys against 32 guys he was supposed to beat. I mean, Charlo's never been in a fight where we said, hey, man, Charlo's in deep tonight. No, no, Charlo's never been in deep because of the fact that Al Heyman's picking the opposition, you know, and the opposition hasn't been all that tough. But anyway, the opportunity was there for Canelo to pick up a cool hundred million and take on Charlo first and then Benavides in November. Now, instead, he's going to take on Dimitri Bivol and uh, the first fight of the year, probably in May. It'll be in May, May the 7th, I believe. And then the other fight will take place in either September or November. And that fight will be with Triple G. Of course, Triple G, the now, what, 41-year-old champ, former champion? He held his title, I believe, still at middleweight. But 160-pound guy, of course, a guy that was old for a long, long time. But he just never showed his age. But he's starting to show it now. But he's 41-1-1. I mean, as a pro. And guess what? The one loss in the one draw was to Canelo Alvarez. So, I mean, it's not like he's losing to no bums or anything like that. Anyway, bottom line is he's very old. They're going to hook it up. And uh, later part of the year, so the second fight on the contract uh, or the contract or the calendar of Canelo Alvarez. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing and MMA. Coming to you from the Sports Byline Studios in the city, by the way, San Francisco, California. On the Sunday show, we hope to bring in the retired infield Godfather Larry Merchant. And in studio will be Kareem Mayfield, former junior welterweight contender. That and more tomorrow on Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Stay tuned. After the break, Ring Talk returns. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Let my boys harmonize just a second here, please. Little Tower of Power for you. Of course, Tower of Power is vintage 2008. I believe the great American soul book. Check it out. Towerpower.com. Of course, the USC, my favorite guy, Dana White. What's he doing these days? Of course, the man that refused to put the belt on the world heavyweight champion a couple of weeks ago. I'm talking about Francis Ngannou. Of course, Ngannou beating uh, Cyril Ghane, a guy that he wasn't supposed to beat. I mean, Dana was hoping, praying for the other guy to win. When the other went, when it didn't go down that way, what did Dana do? Dana just didn't show up, said he was on the phone. He couldn't put the belt around the guy's waist because he was on the phone. 
Give me a break. Anyway, UFC has got a fight night tonight, UFC Apex. It will be on ESPN, I believe. And, of course, next week, uh, UFC 272 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Kobe Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal, of course, always brings it. Man, that, that beat Nate Diaz in the garden. Of course, he sold out in Madison Square Garden in about two and a half hours, and they gave him $500,000. And then he did $100 million in pay-per-view, so they gave him another $50,000. So he got $550,000 for basically bringing in about $120 million bucks. So, you know, good old Dana White. What can I say? The worst man in the history of combat sports. I mean, come on, man. I'll say it again. I was a cop in San Francisco. Okay, I knew real pimps. I mean, real pimps. White pimps, black pimps, Latin pimps. A lot of pimps, okay? None of them can get away with paying paying their girls what Dana pays these guys and his niggas girls. I mean, come on, man. If they're getting like 5 to 10% of the annual uh, earnings, something's wrong, don't you think? Yeah, Dana White, El Pimpo. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside Live from the world of boxing and combat sports. Of course, tomorrow, the Sunday edition comes to you from the Sports Byline Studios. will be live on Twitch.tv and, of course, the WBC TV as well. Straight up, Ring Talk Live Worldwide Sunday with the retired HBO godfather Larry Merchant, junior welterweight contender Kareem Mayfield, and more. That's Ring Talk Live Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, live on these same channels. Until next time, keep your hands up, keep your chin down, but most importantly, I got a great new producer here, Daniel. Have a great day, Daniel. Peace.